when I decided to heal, that's what I was looking for. I was going to get my soul back in this body and I was going to feel alive again. Hey, lovebirds, let this serve as a content warning. This episode is about sexual assault. So if that's a trigger for you, you might want to skip this one. But if you do need support and or resources right away, like right now, you can go to rain.org. That's R-A-I-N-N.org. Rain is the largest uh, anti-sexual violence organization in the world, and you can get a lot of resources there. And if you want to get the the guide that Coco wrote, uh, go to cocomckenzie.com. That's C-O-C-O-M-C-K-E-N-Z-I.com. And she wrote a guide uh, on what to do after you've been assaulted. And we're going to talk a lot about that in this episode. But if that's going to be too much for you, you can just get the guide right away. That said, we don't go too deep into what happened or too many details about the incident. But we do use the word rape quite a few times. And we are talking about how to heal from sexual assault. So Coco McKenzie is phenomenal. She is my guest today. She is a survivor and she has made it her life's work to help women heal from sexual assault and and after they're done healing, how to really like celebrate and thrive after this traumatic experience. So this is a beautiful, beautiful episode. It's heartbreaking. At the same time, it's also heartwarming. And yeah, it's a heavy topic, but we somehow managed to bring quite a bit of lightness to it. And I'm so grateful to Coco for having sat down and brought her warmth, her openness, her transparency to such a difficult subject. My name is Sean Galanos, and this is The Love Drive. Coco? Could you please introduce yourself? Yes. Hi. <laughs> um, I'm Coco McKenzie. I am an assault survivor, uh, a teacher, and the founder of the McKenzie Method, which helps survivors go from suffering to celebration after trauma. Mm. That's beautiful. Thank you. But yeah, a little bit about me. I was raped in 2012, and I've discovered that my greatest trauma has held my greatest treasure. And it's been the biggest gift of my life, what I've learned through that process, what I'm able to give and to share, how it has made me the woman that I am today. Um, And it was not an easy journey, but it's one that I'm incredibly grateful for. I I have to imagine that like you just said that you've been healing ever since, but I, I wonder, was there a moment where you're like, oh, it's, I'm going to have to do a lot of work to get out of this, to start healing from the trauma associated with, with being raped. Definitely. Um, I didn't start the healing journey until about two and a half years in. So uh, the incident happened. I remember Googling, what do you do when you're raped? because I had no clue and was met with a lot of, was met with things that I couldn't process. I'm sure that the tools were actually quite useful, but it was too much for me at that time. Like when you experience that level of trauma, the best way I can describe it is that you're reduced to infancy. Like I couldn't do anything. Getting out of bed was 
the biggest chore. Trying to remember to brush my teeth was near impossible. Like I felt like the walking dead. And because I carried so much shame and guilt, I didn't tell anyone for two and a half years. And I did pursue a criminal lawsuit against him um, and told my ex-partner at the time, who was my backbone, I'm eternally grateful for Mm. Kurt. But I thought that my power was my anger. And I thought that that was what, like the fuel that I needed to get through that lawsuit. And so I held on to it. And it truly was the only thing that I could feel, everything else I had numbed to. And then two and a half years in, I had stress induced hemorrhaging that hospitalized me twice. And I remember like being in the ambulance, and I don't know if he's the nurse or, or who he was, but I just remember that doctor grabbing me by the shoulders and telling me this shouldn't be affecting me the way that it is. And if I don't heal, it will ruin my life. And I remember waking up in the hospital hours later and it just, his words were like ringing through my body. And he was right. As traumatic and consuming that level of trauma is we do always have a choice and it had been two and a half years and I had just gotten angrier and more numb and in more pain because of the way that I was handling it. So at that point I decided I had been in talk therapy uh, since it happened and didn't feel like I was getting anywhere because I was in my head Like the the last place I needed to be was talking about it and rehashing the issues over and over and over again. Like I didn't sleep for two and a half years. I had night terrors. I'd been raped every possible way in my, in my mind. Like I couldn't walk down the street. Every, I was, I was constantly on guard and in my head about it. And so I decided after the hospital, I was going to heal no matter what it took, because this was either going to affect the rest of my life or I was going to spend the rest of my life trying to get better, trying to get back into my body, trying to be able to have sex again, trying to feel alive. And so that is when I left my job at a global sports media company and I traveled the world and I (laughs) found myself in the craziest places, places I didn't even know existed, studying things I'd never heard of. And it unlocked what I didn't know that I needed, but I knew that I needed. But none of it would have happened had I not been hospitalized and had that moment of like, I don't care. It's not going to affect the rest of my life like this. It can't. This would be far too miserable. Mm. So, yeah, making that decision is incredibly important. I'm assuming that part of the healing process happens in the mind because there was probably some stuff that gets shaken out through talk therapy. What's the other piece that sort of helped you begin the healing journey or other pieces? Yeah, I, in my experience, I believe that we have seven bodies and we are holistic creatures. So in order to heal, like actually truly heal and live 
optimally, we have to have all seven bodies aligned. That means you have to heal intellectually. You have to heal emotionally, physically, cellularly, spiritually, sexually, ancestrally. (laughs) You just gave me four new bodies that I wasn't aware of. (laughs) I was like, I got this. I got this physical, emotional, mental. And then you threw in spiritual, sexual, ancestral, and cellular. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That's a lot of bodies. It's a a lot lot of bodies. It's a lot of bodies to manage. So yes, healing intellectually, you can't skip it. You'll be, it's, it's like, it's like building the Jenga tower, you know, like you got to have, it's a, it's a narrow tower and you have to have all seven layers. And when you have them, you, the, you feel alive. You finally feel the way that you've been trying to feel and couldn't articulate it, or you could feel it in every other category, but relationally, or you keep having these questions that you can't get answered because it's a spiritual problem or it's an ancestral thing. Like, we have to heal in everybody. So I found that through <laughs> countless, countless modalities um, that changed my life. I've got a list of these modalities. They sound pretty amazing. <laughs> They're pretty fun. Should we just list a few of them? Just uh... Go for it. Go for it. Yeah. There's, there's, um, there's ancient body work revealing unwavering wisdom. Oh, that's Ke'ala Hoku. Okay. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> Indigenous tribal ceremonies bringing, bringing oneness. Yes, I studied with the 13 grandmothers. Who's intense? Okay, wow. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of, there's going to be a lot of back research for this episode. <laughs> um, psychedelic medicine answering impossible questions. Yeah, thank God. From my mm. nature. Mm. Breathwork therapy. Releasing stored trauma. Oh my God. Yes. Biodynamic and trauma release therapy. That took me by surprise. The power of our breath. Like conceptually, sure. You're not breathing. You're not living. Our breath is incredibly powerful. I kind of had like this like blah, blah, blah attitude towards it. And one of my trusted uh, teachers told me to go do it. And I would follow this woman off a cliff. So I was like, all right, sure. I get there. I'm on like day three of the retreat and, f- and could, f- could physically feel my body unlocking. I, I, I literally felt different just through breathing. And it was, and I've done body work. I I've had, I've had every, I've done, I feel like I've done everything under the sun trying to get back, trying to get my spirit and my soul back into this body after being raped. Like, but, but the power of our breath was remarkable. I mean, everything I hear about meditation and mindfulness, it all centers around the breath. And, and that's a very simple way of breathing, right? And I'm assuming this breathwork therapy involves other more intricate ways of accessing you know, release through the breath. Yes. There, there are some patterns and methods that you follow for sure. You're also using um, your own physical touch. Oh. So I, I remember doing one um, womb breath work, like a pelvic floor. And I had my hands on my inner thighs and like around my hips. And I was putting a lot of pressure. And that's when it like, like just unlocked. 
and it was it, it was one of the most defining moments of my life only through breath wow I'm sort of, I mean, I can see it in your face that this was like profoundly impactful. Yeah. I, I remember there was a moment when I was being attacked that my inner dialogue was, he's not listening to you. Like, you're telling him to stop. He's not listening and it hurts. So if you stop moving, eventually he'll stop. Hmm. And it was this like very primal, like problem solution. He's not listening. He's clearly after something. And the only way for you to stop hurting is if you stop fighting. And I remember in that moment, feeling like my soul left my body. And it was the thing that I carried the most like self-hatred and shame because I thought that I didn't fight hard enough. Mm. And when I decided to heal, that's what I was looking for. I was going to get my soul back in this body and I was going to feel alive again. And through the combination of all the work that I did, I found it. But breath work was one of the most profound. Mm. Yeah, it's good stuff. Beautiful. I hear, you know, when you said I, I should have fought hard enough, I have a feeling, and I don't know this, but I have a feeling that's a really common thought for for survivors. And that's even sort of like what people say, like, oh, you should have fought harder. That's incredibly common. Also, um, were you drinking? Right. Oh, you were asking for it. Yeah. And the other one, probably one of my least favorites and <laughs> one that I lose my mind over, um, but one that I get asked nine times out of 10 is, well, did you know him? And I'm like, I don't even want to answer that question. Why, why is that a question? Oh, I don't even understand the meaning behind that question. Exactly. Exactly. Somehow, is socially, it is conditioned in us that if you know him and if you were drinking, then it was probably more of a muddled situation, maybe more of a he said, she said, kind of hard to prove who really knows, is the attitude that I run into all the time and that most survivors do. And so trauma splits splits the head and the heart it splits the mind and from you know the facts of what happened and your emotions it splits your body from it, it, it divides by nature and so you you're trying to live in this body that no longer feels like yours no longer feels safe and you don't feel like you can trust it and then you have the on top of that you're dividing your own thoughts of like what do i do maybe it, you know maybe i could have done this maybe i should have done more and then it keeps people paralyzed i imagine it's hard to heal when you when you blame yourself because you sort of think that mm -hmm. it's it's on you definitely and most survivors not most a fair amount of survivors do um mm. and two out of three survivors know their perpetrators right which makes it even more muddy and manipulative and confusing 
I don't want to go into all the resources that you have built to help people figure this stuff out. And we will get to all that because we we could have touched on several of them. One of them being uh, how to figure out if you've been if you've been uh, drugged, mm. which is helpful in that figuring out what the hell just happened. Another one is about is it still rape if it's my boyfriend or you know th- these like weird muddy relationship issues. Mm. So we'll we'll touch on all of that stuff because they seem to be invaluable resources for people who don't really know what's going on mm. and what the healing process looks like. You've done some phenomenal work yeah. on on like outlining what that whole process looks like. Thank you. So before we get to that, there's four more and I'm sure there was more more than these four, but uh sort of modalities or um, therapies uh, or therapeutic modalities that you've that you that you've experienced and explored tantra and dominatrix uh-huh. to reconnect to the sacred sexuality which seems incredibly powerful yeah um i started with dominatrix actually which <laughs> sure why not you know i remember i Okay, you have to remember, there's a certain level of crazy that I was functioning under when I was just determined to heal. And when I, you know, I had had two sexual partners before I was raped. So I didn't have much experience. Um, And both of those partners I was in very long-term relationships with. So I have two partners. Then I'm raped. Now I'm really confused. And I remember talking to myself because I do that a lot. And I went, I want to be sexually powerful. I don't feel, I don't know what I want. I don't know how to be. Like, I don't, I don't, I'm insecure. I don't like my body. Like everything was just, you get me talking about sex and everything was a problem. I just couldn't, I couldn't get out of my head. I couldn't orgasm. I, I didn't like, it was just all a really big no. Then it became like manipulative and contractual because I was like, I need to, I need to be domineering. I, I, I need to be able to do this. And so I pushed myself. And in, in one of the times I was talking to myself, I was like, fine, who's, who's sexy? Who's powerful? And I was like, dominatrix are. And so I connected with some friends. I found a dominatrix and froze when I got her first email of like, what's pleasurable to you? What do you want to experience? What do you desire? And I was like, I don't know. I don't know. And I don't want you to be mean to me. (laughs) I don't want to be dominated. I have some real pain here and I need someone who is sexually powerful to help me. And I remember getting to the session. So I responded to her email with something. I don't even remember. Probably something that I felt like I should say, because I got to the session shaking in my boots. And I remember walking into the dungeon and I saw her and I just started crying. And we sat down on the couch, like kind of in the little entry room. Um, Intake, intake room. Thank you. (laughs) Doctor's intake room. (laughs) (laughs) And I remember telling her, I was like, I 
was sexually abused, then I am here to feel my body. I don't want you to be mean to me. I don't need to feel bad. I feel bad enough. I just need to feel. And I need to do that with somebody that I feel is strong enough to hold whatever's going to come. And she did that. And it was, I was, I got incredibly lucky to find a woman who could meet me there and then take me on the journey back into my body that I needed. I think I had maybe, you know, three evenings with her, long evenings. Um, And I remember in the final one, there was a moment that I had... (laughs) I think she had me hung upside down by my feet for a while. I had had like eight orgasms and I was like, this is great. And I came down, she laid me, I was blindfolded. She laid me on this bed and I remember her walking around the room asking me what it is that I desired. And it clicked that I've always had the power. I have been with a woman for five hours and all she's been wanting to do is please me. She's only asking, what is my desire? What is my desire? And I was like, like, I've always had the power. I just forgot. And so that was my last session. And it was, it really changed my life. (laughs) And then from there I went uh, to do a, a dominatrix training and, found Tantra, which feels much more aligned for me personally, because I, in my experience, it's more holistic. It involves your spiritual body, your cellular body, your bliss body. There's another one. Um, the eighth body. Let's not forget the eighth <laughs> body, everybody. Just just you know, throw that in, give you a little more research. We're going to come up with more bodies by the end of this conversation. Exactly. Um, but yeah, so I... It started with Dominatrix and ended up with Tantra, which is now what I do um, in, in, as a part of my coaching and healing practice. There's a lot of sexual, sexual-based practices. They're just unbeatable. But yeah, that's another, <laughs> that's another step in my journey. You know, I'm thinking about that. I wrote, I wrote a question. Actually, I just wrote um, sex after abuse. And I'm assuming that being able to come back into your body and to find healthy practices that are like safe and nurturing like Tantra can be incredibly powerful in being able to start to heal at least this, the sexual body. I had to take a break. So the partner I mentioned earlier, Kurt, um, that helped me in the beginning. We love Kurt. We love Kurt. We we really do. He's a very good man. So when we separated, I took some time um, because I felt I was not in a position to to give to another. Like I could barely take care of myself. I could barely manage my emotions. I was barely alive. I had I didn't have anything else to give, and so. In the beginning of my healing journey, I started taking myself out on dates um, and doing whatever felt natural. And so one of those date nights, I remember um, pretty early on, because it was incredibly difficult for me to get to, but I went to a restaurant 
I'd order a glass of wine. I'd bring my journal and I would write questions and I would answer. It was like, it was just me talking to myself, but I would, I would just journal for like two hours at dinner. And I came home one night and I, and I looked myself in the mirror and I held eye contact and I slowly removed my clothes and I made myself compliment myself, my physical self, not my character, not my intelligence, but my body. And I could not get through that. I couldn't, I could not. I didn't feel like my body was my own. I felt like my body let me down. I felt like I could, like I wasn't safe there. And eventually going through processes like that and date nights with myself enough, new neural pathways did develop. And I was able to feel alive, beautiful, safe, sexual. I remember pulling a mirror and leaning it up against my bedroom door one night and just looking at my vulva. And I had never done that before. I had never looked at her. I never appreciated her. and, And I was like, oh my goodness, I've let so many men so casually be with this part of myself. And I don't even know this part of myself. What am I doing? And so having my sexuality start with myself made all the difference. And so, you know, that evolved then into Tantra and being able to share intimacy with others. But I had to start with myself and I do really recommend that for other survivors. I know that a lot of us are in partnerships and have intimate relationships, but we all, most of us would agree we can't give what we don't have. And your sexuality is yours. And in order to share that, you really need to know what it is that you bring, what it is, like who you are in that way. And so spending, I think it was like eight months <laughs> regularly dating myself. Um was was very very good so so date yourself get to know your vulva <laughs> watch yourself masturbate in a mirror i don't know <laughs> yeah masturbate in a mirror even if you're in a relationship you can still cultivate this connection with yourself oh my god yeah it makes your shared intimacy that much more alive special connected safe yeah it's Masturbate in the mirror, guys. <laughs> That's that was the takeaway. <laughs> if you take anything away from this, <laughs> you know, I I am I'm just I'm curious. I'm curious how many women have like really spent time looking at their vulva. I've never asked any of my any of my lady friends. We don't have the answers. However, in with the hundreds of women that I've worked with, um, I feel like it's basically safe to just say all of them are surprised when I offer that. Mm. Off the top of my head, I can think of, I think, three women that said that they've done that. Out of hundreds that I've worked with. This is an official invitation. (laughs) Mark your calendars. Hey everyone, if you want these resources that Coco and I are talking about right away and you don't want to wait till the end of the episode, just go to her website. It's cocomackenzie.com. That's C-O-C-O. 
M-C-K-E-N-Z-I.com and you can download Fresh, which is the ebook that we're talking about. You can also find her on Instagram at Coco McKenzie. You can find me on Instagram at The Love Drive. And let's get back to our conversation. You mentioned that your greatest traumas are often masks masked by our greatest treasures. And I'm curious what you mean by that. So I don't believe that anything is separate. I don't believe in black and white and good and evil and right and wrong. I believe that it's, it's, a, um, it's a scale. So everything is equal and opposite. So for the level of trauma that you experience, you're going to also experience the equal amount of greatness and treasure and the gifts if you just it just depends on where you are on that scale so i don't in tv like the example between black and white i think between the two there is an infinite shades of gray right and we choose so for someone who has experienced this level of suffering I believe it's also that we also have that level of abundance that we can achieve if mm. we decide to. I just, I don't believe that people are stuck. I don't believe that we are not powerful. I don't believe that we don't have a choice. And I believe that through my own experience, and I believe that through everyone that I have worked with, we are our greatest healers. We have infinite capacities within us and your greatest trauma does not have to remain that way. That um, idea is something that I learned in recovery from drug and alcohol abuse Mm -hmm. a long time ago. And the idea is that we don't regret our past because we can use our experiences. Excuse me. We can use our experiences to help another person. And that's not to say that we wish we, it didn't happen, but it did, it happened, and we can't change what's happened, but we can change what we do with it. I always ask myself, how is this helpful? Like, if I'm believing something, I'm always like, is this, is this helpful? If I believe that I'm a victim and I can't do anything and I'll never be able to be in a, in a, partnership with true reciprocity because I'm damaged goods. How does that help me? We only have so much energy, time, space, years, and vitality. I want to choose I want to choose the most empowering thing. And for me, when I initially decided to fight back after the rape, I myself was not worth that journey. I didn't think that I deserved it. I didn't like myself enough, quite frankly. But the thought of him doing it to someone else was like like fire in my body. I could not stand by mm. and know and, and think that I played a part in that. I let him do that. Like the amount of death and pain that I felt the thought of him doing it to someone else was like just even still makes my skin crawl and so to what you're saying with recovery of 
helping someone else. Like it is incredibly healing to do that. And through my journey, with the purpose being to help others, I actually helped myself, but that wasn't my goal because I didn't think that I was worth it at the time. Sounds like you don't think that anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I took myself on one too many good date nights. (laughs) Yeah. It's interesting. I, um, in one of your documents, you talk about sort of the importance of reporting, uh, your rape and, this might have changed, but when I used to work as a rape crisis counselor for Bay War several years ago, there was an emphasis on not, obviously not promoting. As a rape crisis counselor, your job is never to promote any sort of agenda. The only agenda that you promote is how to help the survivor deal with the current crisis. But there was some literature that was that was sort of indicating that, that like, of course, it's okay not to report, right? Because people are at different levels of comfort with what the reporting process entails and what that can dig up. Mm -hmm. And so I think we were sort of told that we don't promote reporting. Mm -hmm. And I I feel like that's not the message I got from your resource. It was sort of a different message. Sort of like there's a, almost a responsibility. So, yes. Um, it is sensitive as much laughter as we've shared and as fun as this is. Um, we, it's sensitive and it's serious. Um, and I don't pretend that it's not. So my thoughts on, on reporting, all of the statistics and everything that I've pulled from that I've provided in fresh or from rain, um, governmental agency, you know, a source that we can trust only 3% of victims that we know of are lying. And it happens every 98 seconds. So I don't I don't know the actual number of how many that is a year, but it's it's painful to think about. And maybe 3% are lying. So that's item to consider, number one. The other is we have a justice system in place that is not really set up to support the survivor. It is difficult to get a detective. It is near impossible to get a trial. And that really, really pains my heart. Um, And it's something that we have to change because if you are dealing with a person who is suffering, who is sick, a violator, their behavior, we we have to assume their behavior will not change unless it is forced to. And most perpetrators are repeat offenders. And they, they are capable of that because no one is stopping them, because survivors are not doing, I say this humbly, but but doing everything that we maybe could. So again, it goes back to when I thought about another woman experiencing what I'm experiencing because I didn't stop it. I couldn't live with myself. And through the reporting process, we do have, there are stopping points and there are, you know, you can file as a Jane Doe. You can 
you have rights the entire way through. So if the process ever becomes too much or you decide that you don't want to pursue or let's say there's not enough evidence, it can be housed and coupled with another woman's case. Um, and then that is very encouraging for you to know, okay, you, you know, you were right. You weren't making this a bigger deal than, than it should have been. You were right in, in making that decision because look, somebody else, it happened to somebody else too. And then you have a joint case and then you are creating good and you are creating a better world for future generations for, for us, those of us who are here, like there, you are making an impact and so I think that is why one of the many reasons why reporting is helpful. And the systems will get better the more we do it. Because you have survivors like me who are going, that rape kit was not okay. And now they've already adjusted the process a little bit to make it more um, bearable. Mm. So there are changes happening and they're happening because people are being honest and people are being brave. I am just thinking of the statistic that you said, right? A rape happens every 96 seconds in the United States, in the United States. Yeah. 98 seconds in the United States. Which is insane. Yeah. And can you imagine what would happen if everybody reported? Yes, we would change the world. I mean, it, there would be a huge, like it, it would, the whole process would have to change because they wouldn't be able to handle it. Yeah. It would be, it would overwhelm every level of this process. Yes. And we would get the change that we need. Reporting is very, very, very important. So, um, okay. So a few points. One, it sounds like to me that there can be a, uh, some sh- reduction in shame from reporting when you figure out that you're not alone, that this wasn't an isolated incident, that you didn't do anything wrong, mm-hmm. right? Because when you, when you report, maybe you'll, you'll, you'll get some sense that you're not alone in this. Yeah. And also, I can imagine that it must be terrifying to report for all sorts of different reasons, whether you have a prior, whether you are not legal in this country, whether you f- don't like the police, whether you are discriminated on a regular basis, like all these things are huge barriers. And not to mention that I'm assuming, I mean, I remember I did a hospital visit for, for Bay War training, and just that wasn't pleasant. So I can't even imagine what actually going through the process mm-hmm is going to be. And hospitals are not places where we nurture folks for the most part. Like they're, they're businesses and they're pretty clinical and they're very cold in more ways than one. And what is amazing is the resources that you put together, um, what you call fresh, which is starting post. It's a starting point post-sexual abuse. And I have a typo. Starting point, post-sexual abuse. There's a whole bunch of different resources. One of them is a reporting and rape kit checklist. Yeah. And it includes a whole bunch of information along with like what you should expect, what you shouldn't expect, mm-hmm. things that can make your stay more comfortable, what the process looks like. I mean, you've outlined the whole thing, which I'm assuming is what you didn't have 
when this happened to you yeah. and you were overwhelmed with resources that weren't well put together and in language that people could understand in a situation where shit is just really hard to understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the other, another one that I think is, is very important is telling someone it took me two and a half years. Well, I, I did tell Kurt uh, the next day and, and that's why he was so helpful, but it's a very difficult process. And, and again, in that level of trauma, um, you might not be your best self. <laughs> um, there might be a lot of things going on. And so having, there is a, a part of the book that it is, it helps you figure out who to tell, what to say, how to tell them, how to ask for help, how to, how to, ask them to not do certain things and, and to have someone, if you choose, support you through the beginning stages because they would have made a huge difference in my life at that time when I was going to the police station and doing a rape kit had I had one of my friends. Um, so it, it might not be something that we all can do, and I understand that, but it, it is something I recommend that if you've suffered from a recent trauma and there is someone in your life that you can ask for support, even if it's just them being a witness to your journey, it makes a huge difference. That reminds me of this resource that I found by Emily Nagoski. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. She's the writer of Come As You Are. Yeah. And she wrote a blog post. Am I am I pronouncing that right? I've never heard it. Okay. And I love the book. <laughs> but you know what I'm talking about. Yes. <laughs> it's a great it's a great book. Yeah. My I I actually had my my mom was coming to visit me and books are cheaper in the states and I live in Canada and so she was coming to visit so I ordered a bunch of books. And she was like, "Oh, I got some of your books. One of them has a vulva on it. Seems really interesting. I'm going to read it on the plane." <laughs> Way to go, mom. <laughs> Way to go, mom. Yeah. So Emily wrote um, a blog post titled, What to Do When Someone Tells You They Were Sexually Assaulted. Mm -hmm. And she outlines four things that you can say to somebody. And I think this is beautiful. And she caveats that it's fairly simple, but it's not even a little bit easy to do. But it's four sentences, usually, but not always in this order. I believe you. Thank you for trusting me enough to tell me. I'm sorry that happened to you. I support you, whatever you choose to do. And then the next line is, and then you listen to be present, and then listen and be present some more. Mm. Thank you, Emily. That seems like a nice way to approach a, a subject that not a lot of people know how to talk about mm-hmm. and, a, and a gentle way to show up for somebody, even if you don't really know what that looks like. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you, goodness, this is, this is what I do for a living. And every time I'm still surprised and every time there's always this piece of my mind, that's like, ah, I don't know what to say. How could you know? But that is a very, very beautiful guide. Mm. And I can only imagine 
what effects it will have. Simple, though not even a little bit easy. That's true. That's very eloquently said. Speaking of guides, do you have other tools included in your fresh guide that you can touch on to illustrate what people might get from this free resource, might I add? (laughs) Yeah, so the guide, it has 18 different exercises that range from meditations to guided visualizations. There are breathwork practices that I walk you through. Um, There are practices to heal sexually, practices that you can do at home and with a partner. There is a guide for um, how to get back into your body, how to start moving, a meditation to help you sleep. There, I mean, there's diet sheets. There's how to, you know, how to file a restraining order process. There is like, there's, there's a, there's a few other things too, (laughs) but it's very practical and it's all written, you know, basically in bullet point style, because again, you can't, you just can't seep in that much information and it needs to be step-by-step. So it really does walk you through if you were sexually assaulted yesterday or if you all the way through, you know, years later and trying to get back into your body and be intimate. Thanks for sharing that. (laughs) So that's a great resource, right? That's a great resource. I'm curious. I don't know what the Coco McKenzie method is. Oh, um, uh, the McKenzie method, it's designed by me. It's, It's designed by a survivor for survivors. And it is the solution to suffering from sexual abuse. Uh, it kind of happens two ways. I offer private retreats. So it's a two-day or 48-hour immersion. And we work with all of your bodies to get it what it is that you're looking for and to actually finally heal from assault and give you the tools that you need on a daily basis to be happy again. And then I also offer a 12-week coaching series. So it's an hour and a half program that we do that way. So either way, we cover the same topics, but one is the the deep dive immersive experience and the other is um, a little more prolonged. And it's my favorite thing to do. <laughs> I get the impression that it, that it, it has like a very powerful impact on your clients. I wouldn't do it if it didn't. I would not have the audacity to stand and say that I help people heal from sexual abuse if I didn't actually do that. Hmm. My life is based on this. I didn't, I didn't start my journey because I wanted a company. I started it because my life depended on it. And when I die, I want to know that I helped people. And this is how I can. And with the with with what we have out there and with what sexual abuse costs us, even costs those who actually haven't experienced it directly, but say it is your partner or it is your mother or it is your sister, every single person on this planet suffers from sexual abuse in their own way. And it is time to heal. And we can. It's not easy, but we can. 
That lands really well. <laughs> also, like, deeply sad mm. to know just how how this affects everybody. I mean, I think one of the statistics is one in two women will be raped in their lifetime. Yeah, it is. And you think about 98% of victims are women. So just for conversation's sake, we'll, we'll say women. If one out of two of us doesn't feel safe in their body, doesn't know how to communicate what we want sexually, can't stay present in intimacy, how is that affecting their partner, be it a man or a woman? It's going to make you feel like you need to do more. It's going to make you feel inadequate. It's going to make you feel like you need to be more domineering because your girlfriend doesn't know what she wants. It's going to make it, it does this interesting power play and it keeps things from being genuine. But if you, but imagine if we all started reporting, if, if we changed sexual abuse and rape culture as we know it, then that means every woman is going to start to feel more connected, more powerful, more vocal, more true. And that then only empowers the rest of us to rise up and feel that as well. And so we then have, you know, you would see the porn industry change. You would see early childhood development change. You would see relationships and marriage change. Like if we started to actually do the work that, that we have available to us. That's how I feel about it. <laughs> oh, that's a nice, yeah, that's nice. I was just, when you were saying that, I was like, man, that is going to put a lot of women in power, which I would love to see, but that is going to threaten a lot of men. Not if it's true power. Not if it's true power. If it is rooted in purity, it will only birth more of that. If I'm a truly secure human being, your power does not threaten me. I celebrate it. So yeah, if women become powerful the way men have been powerful in the past, well then yeah, you're just recreating the wheel. And that, but that's not healing. That's also a waste of everyone's time. That's not what we're going for. Oh, I think I was using power in a different context. Like you're talking about authentic power, like uh, empowered, you know, living our best selves, being authentic, being like... I'm talking about men. I'm talking about patriarchy, consolidating of wealth, you know, political power, status, that kind of power. If women actually do really heal and become that powerful, it's going gonna, it's gonna to threaten a lot of men. And the only reason I'm saying that is, is like, because this is, it's a crime of power, right? I mean, it's perpetrated in order to like take people's power away. Oh, yeah. Rape is never about sex. It's about power. What I'm saying is that I want people, like I want women to rule the world. And I know that men, there's a lot of men out there that don't want that. Okay. And if, if women find more power, which I want them to, uh, there's going to be a lot of fucking pissed off guys. And I just, I, okay. I hear you. And I think my incredible, like I have a very strong heart. I am a very... I don't want to say hopeful person because I think hope can be confusing because it's not actually real. I, I, uh, I believe, <laughs> I believe with every ounce of my being that if someone gender aside, because before we're gender specific, we're just humans at the end of the day. So when someone is in 
truth, it disarms. I don't care how traumatized they are. It disarms them. And we know truth by the way that it feels. And so if you have enough people starting to live in their truth, I don't care about the patriarchy. I do believe that it would evolve. I believe that it would have to in such a being held in that kind of environment. I don't, I don't fear that. It also will take a lot of work. (laughs) I like your, I like your perspective better than mine. Mine is very cynical. But that's what it goes back to. How does believing that help you? <laughs> it doesn't actually. It's it's very self defeating. Yours is much more helpful to a lot of people. You Thank know, you, man. If we're all creating it anyways, I'm going to create the version that I like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I believe, I believe in people, and I believe in our truth, and I believe we will get there. And I'm going to die playing my part. <laughs> well, I will I will die supporting you playing your part. <laughs> I want to be a supporting actor. It's a very strong supporting role. <laughs> I want to be a strong supporting actor. Is there anything that we didn't talk about that we would be sort of remiss not to? Mm. Other than where we can find you, obviously. This is why I usually write lists beforehand because then I get in these and I'm like, I think we're good. I don't know. Uh, we are good. We we are definitely good. But sometimes there's like, oh yeah, there's this one thing I need to say. But if you already said it, you already said it. I mean, do you do you have like a clo- like a closing series of questions that you always ask, or is there anything you can think of or want? Um, I have a few closing questions. I mean, one of them is, where can we find you? That needs to be there somewhere. It might as well be now. <laughs> you can find me. On the interwebs, it's my website, just my name. So it's cocomackenzie.com. I'm also on Instagram, also under that handle, C-O-C-O-M-C-K-E-N-Z-I. No E at the end. No A or no E. Oh, no Mackenzie? No Mackenzie. Got it. Mackenzie. Yeah, so that's where you can find me. That's where Fresh is. It's where all of my private retreats and courses are. I will soon be offering um, my first women's circle so we'll be you know sisterhood healing and support and creating community and change um, and getting to expand and reach the globe through that way so that'll be happening in june um but everything's there everything's on kokomackenzie.com yeah so the fresh the fresh resource guide is there um and where are you located los angeles okay so some of your work happens in person yes I travel, people travel to me, nothing stands in our way. (laughs) What is one way in which your life, this, okay, I can't ask you this question because this is obvious. The question is, what is one way in which your life turned out differently than the way you'd expected it to? (laughs) Seems kind of a dumb question to ask. (laughs) Nope, my life's exactly how I expected it to. (laughs) Good job, Sean. (laughs) Uh, You know what? You know what I didn't expect? I didn't expect that I would like mushrooms at this phase of my life. When I grew up, my mom always got onto me for not eating mushrooms, spinach, and bananas. And now I eat mushrooms, spinach, and bananas probably every day. So that is another way that my life did not turn out the way I expected it to. Wow. (laughs) What a plot twist. 
for a second there, I thought you were going to talk about like, like magic mushrooms. Like, I know. Yeah, psilocybin. And I was like, oh, yeah, microdosing is a lot of therapeutic. Uh, I've done some research. <laughs> no, just straight old Cremini's and Portobello's. Yeah, I couldn't get into it. And then recently, I don't know what it was. I smelled some cooking and I was like, oh, my God, I think my life just changed. Turns out it did. One more change. One more twist and turn. Um, what, okay. So what is, what does love look like for you now? Um, I feel this like expansion in my chest. I feel my head wanting to go back. I feel my arms wanting to open. I feel warm. I feel very big and I feel very seen and light. Goddamn. <laughs> That's beautiful. No one's ever answered that question that way. Actually, everyone answers it differently, but that was beautiful. Thank you so much. Oh, thanks for asking. Sorry, I didn't give you exactly the answer to you. <laughs> no, there's no expectations. That question is really meant to elicit whatever the answer is. There's no wrong answers when we're talking about love. Amen. And especially, I mean, I just love that you brought it back to the body. Mm, that's home base. We're not alive if we're not there. So, mm. Thank you so much for your time. Mm. I really appreciate you and this conversation. Yeah, my, it's been such a pleasure. I deeply appreciate the world that we're in and how we're able to share, but I especially appreciate the men that are showing up. and being true and supportive and bold and powerful in your own way. So thank you so much for having me. I'm just going to thank you again. And I want to thank you as well for listening and for choosing to spend an hour with me during what I assume is a very busy week. So thank you so much for that. And if you want to give back in a small but very meaningful way, tell a friend or two about The Love Drive who don't already know about it, because I really think that word of mouth is a really powerful way to grow a podcast. And if you want to find out more about me or my coaching services, you can go to thelovedrive.com or find me on Instagram at thelovedrive. Thank you so much and have a beautiful week.